Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. This is Brian. Um, as you can see, we're not in my apartment anymore. I told you. I told you we were going to be meeting somewhere else. Uh, we're at Bryant Lake Bowl, so I just want to, I mean, shout out to Bryant Lake Bowl. Uh, we have our server that's coming in that's helping us out. I mean, there's us three outside, or outside, out here, Curtis, Amanda, and Ava. We all have our own tables. It's just pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, this is where we're going to be recording from every Sunday, at least here through March. They kind of said that we're doing... Ava, I'm very nervous with your juice. <laughs> um if you hear a lot of background noise, it's because Ava has her own table and she has her own cranberry juice, which I'm very nervous about. Uh, yeah, but we're we're gonna kind of housekeeping things. We're um, gonna be meeting here every Sunday from here on out uh, until we can't be here anymore. Um, so if you're watching, and we totally understand with the pandemic. Uh, that some people aren't comfortable meeting, some some people aren't comfortable going out um, out of their pod, out of their bubble. I totally get that, and I totally understand. Uh, but you know, know that when you want to get out of your bubble, or when you feel safe, when you feel um, okay to do that, we would love to see you down here. Um, I'm, I don't feel as guilty calling ourselves. Uh, Revolution Church Minneapolis because we're actually in Minneapolis <laughs> when our house is in St. Paul. But, you know, you get the gist. You get the gist. Um, I would like to say, too, if people do watch this uh, anytime throughout the week, um, Bryant Lake Bowls are open for service. Come down and support them. Um, buy coffee, buy food, buy drinks. Go bowl a little bit. It's going to be fantastic and fun. Um, but I want to thank Brian Lake Bowl again for letting us be here, our small little group. You could... And yeah, so I'm going to, Amanda, can you bring me my coffee real quick? But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice and homey here. I like it. It's, it's good to be back. I know for any of those watching or going to be listening, in the in the future revolution this location of revolution is what jay did uh jay baker and obviously as you guys know who if you guys follow um him and caleb they moved out to seattle and they we haven't had service here for revolution since i think march around a year ago this time so it's been a hot minute for for that um but yeah we're back. We're back and at it, ready to go. I'm super excited. Curtis, are you excited? Yeah. Amanda, are you excited? Yes. So we're super excited. Like I said, Bryant Lake Bowl's open for business, and please support all these bars and restaurants around. I know some people get nervous about doing it, but these are people's jobs. These are people's, you know, careers on the line, and I can't say how excited I am myself to be back for revolution and i hope more and more people can come and this can grow and be something great 
going to take a sip of my coffee real quick. That is delicious chai tea. And if anybody wants to know what chai tea tastes like, if they haven't had it, it tastes like Christmas in a cup. Christmas in a cup. Um, I would be not myself if I didn't talk about the weather. And the weather today is almost 50 degrees right now, going to be 60 degrees today. So as a good hearty Minnesotan, um, we're going to go take a walk. We're going to take a walk today. Um, it's gorgeous outside. It's beautiful. Um, if you're here in the Twin Cities and you're watching this or in the Midwest and it's warm, go out. Get out there with nature because, you know, in March this isn't normal. This isn't normal weather. So do that. Um, I think we're going to jump back in to talking about to uh, the toxicity of purity culture, part two, part part deux. Um, I talked a lot about it last week. Um, some more personal things that I went through, personal stories. Yes, yes, I, yeah, Elizabeth, I do think, yeah, it is Christmas in a, in a cup. Um, and so good that if I take stops while I'm talking, it's because I want to drink it before it gets cold. Uh, but yeah, talking about the toxicity of purity culture and, I talked a lot about it last week, and then I had some conversations with some of my coworkers, and one guy who wasn't really raised in "quote unquote" the evangelical church, he 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 talked about it like he dated. He wasn't really raised religious, but dated a girl. He dated a girl who was um, evangelical herself, and how he. He felt that, uh, what's the word, that that negativity, the trauma, the hurt, all that stuff. And so today I kind of want to just finish up with the toxicity of purity culture. Um, and for people who are watching it that haven't watched, haven't watched what we were, or watched, hasn't heard what I was talking before about this, like last week, there was a post... Um, a, a private Facebook group that I'm a part of, and this was probably two weeks ago now, that they, they, uh, hang on. Whew, that chai is good. Um, about two weeks ago, they, somebody in this private message group was saying, like, at the college where Amanda and I went to, there's this professor slash youth, I don't know, youth professional that, um was t he had wrote a book about pretty much purity culture he wrote a book about how how to how how sex before marriage how any sort of i don't know masturbation sexual exploration any of that stuff that all that was wrong all of it was evil um not really giving, and like I said last week, I'm not talking about having a sex ethic as a bad thing or having some sort of sexual morality that suits you. I'm not saying that that's wrong at all. What this professor slash youth guy was saying was pretty much if you, if you didn't believe purity culture, and he wouldn't call it that, but purity this certain way, then... You're the, you're this depraved, 
horrible, secular human being. And I just had no time for that. And so then I wrote a lengthy post on my own Facebook, on my own private one. And then I got some responses back to that. Then I kind of got heated and mudslinging. And I, like I said last week, I took it down just because people were not really staying on topic of what a discussion was about. And so that let me start talking about some of this own trauma. And can we put her headphones on? Because she's super distracting. It and um, sorry, my daughter's making a ruckus. I don't know if people can hear, but I can. So it is what it is. But so I just Amanda and I were traveling last weekend to visit some family and. You know, it's about an hour-long drive, and the more we were talking about this whole kind of turn of events that happened in the last week or two, it made me realize how not over kind of that inundation, how I wasn't over the—I'm the, I'm over the purity culture. I'm not for it, but I, what I'm trying to say is just the traumaticness that I had from it, the, the hurt, the— the questioning things, you know, I, I know my sexuality, I know all these things about me, but just maybe being nervous to ask my wife something about sexuality or sex or whatever, and not that I need anybody's, you know, like the church's permission or anything. It's just, I, I look at it as kind of these cobwebs in the back of my brain that is saying, oh, are you sure you're going to are you sure you want to ask your wife that? Or are you sure you want to talk about this? Are you sure that? And it's and I haven't been an evangelical in probably 15 years or more, but it's still like some of that stuff is creeping up in, in your mind. And I'm not saying anything about being an evangelical is bad because it's not, but it's, it's more evangelical denominations that push, uh, push a narrative like that, that push a sexuality like that. And so if anybody's watching, whether live or they'll hear this when it comes out on Facebook uh, after it's up or you hear it on, on the feed, um, I want to make it abundantly clear that I'm not saying that having your own personal sex ethic or how you view sexuality, how you want to raise your kids, I'm not saying how you're doing that is wrong Everyone is their own person. Everyone is uh, having to do that their own way. But I'm just saying the toxicity of purity cult culture, and I can't tell you how many of my uh, Instagram friends or groups, or not groups, but even people who follow my own page, our Sacred Collective podcast, so many of it, it's purity culture, our ex-evangelicals, ex People who talk about purity culture, people who have deconstructed their faith. Some are still Christian, some are not. And it's all about getting through through this toxic kind of theology, getting through this toxic uh, understanding of, of sex. And I thought, I, I think it's wonderfully beautiful and, and crazy in a good way that I have these networks of individuals, of friends, of of people who can support me and can uh, we can mutually uh, share our stories, mutually share our trauma, mutually uh, mutually just be there for one another. But 
the one thing I want to talk about, as I said, is kind of coming up with some of these stories and some people who are watching or may watch who know me from my days at my Assemblies of God church. Um, this might hit home. You might know what I'm talking about. If not, you might be like, oh my gosh, can they do that in a church? And I'm going to say yes and yes, because they did do that. Um, but every year it in my Assemblies of God church growing up, there, I don't know why they always did it this particular time, but they had this sex week or sex talk. And I remember it was three weeks long instead of one week long. They were publicizing it, making, you know, all this, you know, all this stuff, uh, you know, a big deal. And I remember, you know, the youth pastor, his wife, all the people who were part of it, they were all like, hey, you know, invite your parents, invite your friends from school, you know, kind of invite anyone and everyone who who uh, should come to this. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be awesome. You know, trying to use the youth lingo back in the day, whatever that youth lingo was. Um, and they're like, we're just going to have a great time. We're just going to have this open, frank conversation about sex, uh, so on and so forth. And I remember, like, my mom and my dad, and I've said before, you know, my mom and dad have taught me really well about loving my own body, taught me a good sex ethic. But here are these, so my parents were there, a lot of my friends' parents were there, which is a little weird, you know, knowing that your friends' parents are there and your friends and they're going to be talking about sex in front of everyone. Um, But I remember even through the first two weeks, um, the youth pastor or when his wife spoke or when leaders spoke, they couldn't even say the common vernacular terms. They never were saying sex. They never said masturbation. They never said, um, like, blowjobs. They never talked about when people have anal and stuff like that. They were they were just – they used these stupid language. Like, they were like, oh, when uh, someone loses their flower or when someone – you know, blows on another person, da-da-da, just this ridiculous stupidity kind of, uh, I don't know, understanding. And I remember after, like, the first week or two, my mom was just like, how how are they expecting you to take them seriously if they can't even use, you know, common language, common understanding about sex, sexuality, um, things like that? And I, I think it was, wasn't until the third week of this three-week conversation that they felt comfortable enough to even use the word sex, to use, you know, words like masturbation and blowjob. But even when they said this as pastors, you could tell they felt really sheepish. They, they, their face got red. Uh, they were embarrassed. And it's... I guess even back then I was wondering why, why is, why are you afraid of this? Why are you nervous of talking about this? Cause this is an important thing. We have no problem in the evangelical church telling people, Oh, it's wrong to be gay or don't get an abortion or, you know, don't go swear and don't go drink. We can talk ad nauseum about that. But then when it comes to sex, sexuality, understanding your body, anything like that, it seems like 
pastors just clam up or if they somebody talks to them about porn or whatever it's just like they just tighten up and they clench up and they're like i have no idea how to talk about this but yet they have no problem pointing the fingers uh at everyone else and being able to talk about what i just said uh with no problem but the story i want to really focus and hit on is there was a there was this uh a visual metaphor i guess uh the, the lack of a better phrase And the youth pastor's wife had this young girl from our youth group. So all of us teenagers were sitting together, as we always do, um, in the number of pews in the front of the sanctuary. And I'm not going to use names of of the people who were, were a part of this, but I remember the youth pastor's wife, she kind of, she had this... I'm trying to see what flower it was. I think it's a big daisy or a big sunflower. I'm talking about those massive ones with the big stem. um, And they have like the little tiny petals. So there was probably, I don't know, 50, 60 petals on it. And then obviously you have the middle part of like the sunflower, like the nub or whatever you want to call it. And so then the youth pastor's wife, when she was going and saying, okay, now I want all the men to stand up. And... I want you guys to come up here, and I want you to keep coming up and grab a petal off of this flower until there's nothing left, until there's no more left. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, my youth pastors, you know, wanted me to do this, so I'm going to go do it. And so we just kind of kept going in the circle of, of, <laughs> of taking this petal and then taking another petal and then taking another pedal. And we, <clears throat> I think, in hindsight, we probably looked, or probably looked, we probably did that uh, 10 times, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, until we got to the end. And then we, she asked all of us to sit down. We all sat down. And... Then she looked out at all of us. And mind you, all of her parents were there. We had friends from school there. Sometimes even grandparents were there. And she sits down, or she looks at all of us, not just the students, but looks at all of all of the people. She looks at all the other people of, and looks at us and, and says, and this is, I still have a hard time talking about it because it's so morbid and so messed up. But she she looked at all of us and was like, especially you women, this is if you, if you kiss someone before your spouse, if you hold hands, if you cuddle, if you have sex, if you masturbate, if you do whatever, anything minutely sexual then this is what you have left for your spouse. This is what you have left for your husband. So pretty much saying that anything you do, I guess, and besides maybe talking to someone of the opposite sex, that that you're going to be this less than person. And you know I've talked numerous times through doing Revolution that any kind of theology, any kind of 
uh, sermon that's making you feel less than is not appropriate. It's not okay. Uh, we all mess up in our lives. We all have issues, but you should never be feel like when you go to church or when you hear a sermon that you're less than. Thanks for closing the door, Curtis. I was, people were starting to bowl in the background. But I remember sitting there being mortified that I partook in this visual kind of metaphor. And I want to... And I still, I don't know that the girl in our youth group that much. I know, I know of her, but I, I think I remember talking to her a couple weeks later and she was mortified. She was mortified that she, because she didn't know what was going on. And it, and Amanda and I have talked about this is especially growing up in evangelical purity culture. It always seemed that the men would get a free pass if a man was like, well, yeah, you know, I I sometimes struggle with masturbation. Then the youth pastor would be like, hey, you know, you know what, bro, don't do it. You know, just just stop doing it. Just whatever. Or if a guy was like, hey, you know, I'm looking at porn. I don't want to. It's kind of becoming an addiction. Then it's usually like a slap in the wrist like, hey, you know, that's not a good healthy thing to do, but whatever. But Amanda brought up the point is, do you, do you, women, especially in evangelical purity culture, are always, always the villains. It's always the woman's fault. It's, you shouldn't have worn your, you shouldn't have worn your bra strap, you shouldn't have worn a shirt where your bra strap is showing. You shouldn't have sewn cleavage. You shouldn't have worn that two piece, uh, swimsuit when you should have show you know should have been in one you shouldn't have worn those short shorts you shouldn't whatever whatever it is and i never experienced that because i'm a man um but all these years later i've seen and i've realized just how tough it must have been for my friends who were women um and still you know and still not even in youth group anymore but as an adult you know, Amanda was telling me, you know, how many women get catcalled, how many women, uh, they could just be wearing pants and blue jeans and they, someone will say something about their figure or their body and, and, and all that. And I feel like in purity culture, it vilif- it, it vilif- uh, villainizes women and it makes men out to be these scapegoats. It makes men to be like, well, we can't control our eyes. We can't control our mind. We can't control our tongue. Uh, if a girl looks pretty, then I'm just going to say whatever I want to her, and she's going to have to take it or understand or just deal with it. And that's just just not okay. And for something, and I think this, this story I just told, it had to be, I don't know, 10th or 11th grade, and, you know, I'm th- almost 38 years old. And for that, for me to still remember that all these years later shows how damaging and how toxic a lot within purity culture can be. And, and I have a couple more stories to, to share, and that's not good. That's not good where 20-some years down the road, I can still remember, like, if I close my eyes, I can still remember, like, me being in that old church sanctuary, seeing that, because... I know what they were trying to do was 
give these students, give us students this good kind of sex ethic in their in their eyes. But what kind of sex ethic is it when you say, oh, uh, you you're if you're a straight person or even if you're gay, but thinking about somebody that you're attracted to is wrong. Uh, seeing someone that you find attractive and then, you know, thinking about them. That's a normal human biological way of doing things. When I first met Amanda, I thought, you know, I told her, I said, I thought she was the cutest, most attractive person in the world. And luckily enough, I ended up marrying her. But there was times that there was times that I, you know, would just be daydreaming or being in class or being at home. And I would think about her, be like, oh, I really like her. I think she's pretty. I would talk to mutual friends and be like, hey, you know, this Amanda Hove, she's just like really cute and attractive and pretty. And it almost was like, I had to, even back then, I was I had to be careful where I was like, I can't think about Amanda too much because then I'm going to go, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this. And so it was all this, this shit that I had to just break down in my head that I had to just say, thinking about someone because I think they're pretty or I'm attracted to them. It was like the church was telling me that it was wrong, but I know for a fact it wasn't wrong. It's a normal, natural, biological thing. Another thing, how purity culture can be toxic, and if, like if I said a couple weeks ago, I was talking um, about how somebody on on Facebook, one of these comments, said that, Purity culture and having negative self body worth, body image, is not intricately connected. And I think that's the biggest lie out there because it definitely is. Because if you're told that you are this sexual being, that sex is this awesome, amazing thing, blah, 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 and then you're told by whether it's family, whether you're told especially by pastors, uh, that you're fat, that you're overweight, that you might have some sort of, I don't know, uh, defect, whether it's birth defect or, you know, whatever. And when you're told about all those things, it's really, it's really hurtful. And so same church, I'm going to drink some more coffee because I don't want it to get cold. I think I might just hold it. That might be better to do. Um, there was this girl that I was friends with. I'm not really friends with her anymore. But I remember she, me and her were the typical people in the youth group where we did everything in the youth group. We Every service they had, we had service Sunday morning, Sunday nights, we were there. We had Wednesday night services, we were there. We had Wednesday night food gatherings, we were there. You know, every youth youth trip we would go to, we would even sometimes have like Friday intercessory prayer circles. I was there. She was there. And she was really, really involved in the church. I was involved in the church, too. And anybody who knows me, when I get involved in a church, when I get involved, involved in ministry, I'm, I'm all in. I'm 100% in. I just jump in, and, and I'm in it for the long haul. But towards—she was a year younger than me, but I remember—I uh, don't know if I had went— to the youth group at that time, um, or not? I don't. I don't know how I just commented on my 
on my own page. It's kind of, it's like, it's meta. It said sad but true. And I was like, I didn't even know I said that. No, um, but I remember talking to this girl, and I think she had came back to the church for a wedding of a mutual friend. And I was like, oh, man, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say her name. I haven't seen you in a long time. You know, you kind of just disappeared. And, I mean, she, in church, in church, I'll just say she probably didn't use the most colorful language. But she just went off. She was like, bleep this and bleep that and, you know, the youth pastor's this and the church sucks and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy crap, what, like, let's go over here and talk. And they pretty much, this person pretty much said that the reason they left the church, the reason they hate the youth group, was because the youth pastor's wife was saying, oh, you know, the reason you're not in a relationship, the reason that men aren't knocking down your doors, the reason you're, you know, whatever, is because you're fat. And because you don't take care of your body, because you don't care about the way you look. And mind you, this girl is not ugly. She was beautiful. Was she a little overweight? Yeah. Who cares? And I don't know where that person is in their life today, but when she came back to that church for a mutual friend's wedding that we were both in, and she said that, I was just so lamblasted. Because as a man, even if I was overweight as a you know teen or not, if someone said, "Oh yeah, the reason you don't have a boy or a girlfriend or or a boyfriend, but you don't have a girlfriend um, is because you're fat, is because of the way you look," how does that how does that not destroy someone's understanding of a loving God, uh, of a loving pastor, of a loving church community when you're told, "Oh, you know, sorry, the reason no one likes you, the reason no one cares about you, whatever, is because you're fat." And that led that woman um, into a depression. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know where she's at with on her faith journey or on a spiritual walk. But I remember her saying saying that to me, and it was a really quick conversation. And I was like, wow. And then that made me realize of kind of going back saying some of the hurtful things like my youth pastor and some of the leaders had said. And like I said, it's, I'm not going to tell my stories anymore this week, but it's just, it's very toxic when people want to talk about sexuality. They want to talk about sex. They want to instill in younger generations a positive self body, a spot, positive um, self-understanding about their bodies, all that stuff. But so often, and I'm not saying that you need to be a therapist, a counselor, a, a sex therapist to teach people about sex or sexuality. I mean, it helps. And as I said last week, the UCC, the United Church of Christ, they do a fantastic job uh, with having like a sexual... Um, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it, it's almost like a, a, a sex ed curriculum. I think that's exactly what it is, a sex ed curriculum that goes, you know, age-wise, age-appropriate. And I think that's fantastic. Um, and I think it's, call, it's called OWL, and the acronym's Our Whole Lives. 
and he or he sorry i was just reading a comment but i look at that and i'm like wow that's so incredible and when i found out that our denomination does that i I sat back and i was like wow how incredible is that that you're having these men and women as pastors and they get trained on this it's not something that they just open this curriculum and are like bam you know here it is but i was like isn't it incredible that you're having men and women who are ministers who've went through years of training uh to teach and pastoral care and all stuff and they're still going through more training just to adequately bring a good sex ethic to kids and you know i'll be honest learning about your body learning about your sexuality doesn't start when you go through puberty it starts way before that but so often in the church, we're always taught, well, you know, when you're as a man, when your voice starts cracking and you get hair on your, you know, different parts of your body, that means then we can start talking to you about sexuality. No, you need to start talking to kids about sex and sexuality in in age appropriate ways, even as young as three, four or five years old, because they're understanding their body and finding new things new ways to explore and understand who they are as a person and i'm this sermon's more not towards the you know progressive mainline churches this is more towards evangelical people to be like hey what what are you guys doing to help understand these younger generations and then maybe even your own your own theology about um about sexuality and I think, Scotty, um, the only comment I'm going to read right now is, yes, I did I did read about that. There's a, pap- a Baptist pastor, I don't know, I think it was in Missouri somewhere, where he literally uh, was fat-shaming women in his sermon. And, of course, he was the Trumpsters because he's like, oh, well, you, you know, our wives should be like the ultimate beautiful woman, which is Melania Trump which I just read. And I mean, that guy is getting destroyed on Twitter. That guy's getting destroyed on social medias. And he resigned from a position and he's Southern Baptist, which, you know, kind of typical Southern Baptist <laughs> minister. Um, but even that right there, I mean, that still is showing you the toxicity of like a purity culture type understanding where this guy and this pastor wasn't a skinny dude. He wasn't this ripped you know, muscular dude who had like 0% body mass index. He was a bigger dude. And in his eyes, he was like, oh, yeah, I don't even know what his sermon was about. But when he was like, oh, yeah, husbands, we need to pretty much have our wives do weigh-ins and, you know, all this stuff. And it like I was reading it and it's like, what? Like, how morbid is it? And then when I started reading the article a little bit more, thinking I'm like, he's probably some dude who was, you know, showed to be misogynistic was okay was shown that men always have the rights to control their wives and whatever and amanda and i have had numerous conversations where i'm like just because we're married and we have wedding rings on doesn't mean i own her or she owns me we're in a mutual partnership in a marriage we're you know parents to our daughter you know we don't need permission to be like hey can i you know, have a beer or a glass of wine. It's like, yeah, I can go do that. But it's this mutual, it's not, and I hate in the Bible when people bring up like, do you submit to your wife? Do you submit to your husband? 
it's not even about submission. It's a, it's a, I would say it's a mutual understanding of one another and a mutual love and appreciation for who we are. And I have to say to all the time I say to people, I've said to coworkers and friends of mine, everyone is their own individual person. And when you want that individual person, your, your partner, your spouse, whatever, if you want them to be just like you, then you're never going to, you're never going to marry someone who's just like you. And that would be really creepy if you married someone just like you. Um, yeah. So, and I think one of the last couple of things I want to be open for our time here, but one thing I wanted to read from is gospel of John. I'm not going to read the whole story, but I just kind of want to bring up the point about how, how subversive Jesus is. And that's a theme and I've known about subversiveness in the Bible for years, but especially doing revolution the last number of months, just kind of reading through scripture carefully, knowing I'm not in seminary, knowing that I have, you know, a number of hours each week to prepare these talks and these conversations. I just, I, I've seen that there's this subversiveness that rises up a lot. And this was from the Gospel of John. And you'll probably, when I see this, or when you hear this, know what I'm talking about. When Jesus and the woman were finally alone, he asked her a simple question. Women, or woman, excuse me, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She replied, no one, Lord. Jesus replied, neither do I condemn. Go from here now on and try not to miss the mark. That was in John, I want to say John 8. And I think this is a commentary that I kind of took from this one. It's really interesting. Jesus rejected the double standard for women and men and turned the judgment upon the male accusers. Jesus' manner with the woman was such that she found herself challenged to a new self-understanding and a new life. And that's one thing I love, 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 love so much about who the person, the character, and the teaching of Jesus is is that so often in churches, so often, um, sometimes even in mainline churches and liberal churches, a lot of times in evangelical churches, we always look at stories and it's like, this person's in a bad light, this person's in a bad light. We'll say a Pharisee and, and this person. And we a lot, most of us who tune in know at least a good familiar, familiarity within the scriptures. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus has no problem going into a situation, going into a town, going into a village, going into the temple for crying out loud, and just wreaking havoc in a good way. And so this conversation that he had with this woman, it was the woman who was caught in adultery, it was the woman who was married five times before living with another man that wasn't her spouse. She knew the law. He knew the law. Um, and when, you know, like no one's there to condemn her anymore, so often we look and we're like, we hear stories like that. And the way I was taught was like, oh, well, well, that woman was trashy. That woman was lustful. That woman was fill in the blank. But Jesus looks at her and takes her from being a villain to making her be a hero, to making her feel like she's loved and feel like she's accepted and looks at the men 
and 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 it's not slapping them on the wrist and making them kind of come to the mat and say hey quit you know don't judge these people cuz you're just as you're just as much to blame as anyone else and that kind of goes back to what i was saying about um about like growing up in the church and growing up within a purity culture hearing how men would not get reprimanded but women would and all these and then reading the scripture and kind of reading this understanding of it of how Jesus didn't look at the woman in a negative light but actually looked at the men in the negative light and was like hey you need to slow your roll you need to watch out you he held he there was always this standard in the bible that men were here women and children and livestock were here if i'm not mistaken livestock had a higher kind of ranking in the world than women and children and jesus took this whole like dynamic of of the sexes and of children and elevated so that everyone was equal and it's there it's very telling when you look at scripture and where it says in jesus's kingdom there is no jew or greek there is no male or female because his whole point is saying when you're part of this kingdom, we're all equal. We're all connected. We're all in this together. And it's just so happens that us as Christians, and I tell this to people all the time, we as Christians and as human beings, we're the ones that muck it up. We're the ones that miss the mark. We're the ones that are constantly off base on all of this. Um, and it's really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. I had a poem I was going to read that I found, but... Um, I'm not going to. I will say, though, I brought this book, so I'll show it. Um, it's a book, if you can see this, it's called Shameless. It's by Nadia Bowles-Weber. Um, she's a really good, um, I don't think she's a Lutheran minister anymore. I think she she was, she ran a, um, a church in Denver called House for All Saints and Sinners, which was just a fantastic church. Um, used to listen to her podcast. But this book came out a few years ago, the shameless book, and I love that A, it's written by a female perspective and about female experiences in church and and Nadia Bowles Weber has been very open in this book and previous books that she was raised in a very very evangelical, very conservative denomination. And this is kind of a book of uh like a more having a more positive sexual uh reformation or as i like to look at it reformation so having this more sexual reformation of of understanding who you are as a person understanding who you are in your own skin in your own body um i'm gonna probably stop there and just take some questions if we had any questions or comments um if it seemed a little skittish it's because i have all these thoughts and ideas and going through my mind and wanting to make myself vulnerable but then not wanting to be out there too much where everyone can just you know know all my deep dark secrets but i do think with being a pastor being someone who speaks in front of people you have to have a certain vulnerability with people um so you don't just seem like a stiff stuck up person um, it's kind of funny that people who are here live are the same people who usually come up to our apartment anyway. <laughs> but, you know, as I said, you know, it's the pandemic. This is the first time Revolution has met here in about a year. Um, and we know people might not feel 
safe until they get vaccinated, which good news is the president said that hopefully every American will be um, vaccinated by the end of May. We'll see. That's a few short months. But, um, yeah, if you're here in the cities, I know a lot of our listeners and people who view it are not from the Twin Cities, so I get that. But, you know, if you are watching in your local, tell your friends, family, coworkers who might like this kind of stuff to come on down. Um, and like I said, I'm going to shout out and network with Bryant Lake Bull as much as I can. They don't have to let us in here. Uh, they wanted to. Um, it's a beautiful, you know, maybe we'll take like a quick video of people and of people of the room to just show you how big of a space we actually do have for people to come down. Um, but I'm going to start, stop talking about that and then see if there's any questions, comments, whatever. So Scotty, you wrote, I remember such talks when my family spent some time in Word of Faith congregations, and they had such talks where they split up the boys and the girls. Instead of saying intercourse, the men leading the boys' group said, when rubber meets <laughs> when rubber meets the road. Ay, ay, ay. That's worth the wait. Purity, uh, Scotty also says, Purity culture actually has a very low view of men. It reduces us to mindless oafs driven by sexual urges. That's... That's a very good point, Scotty. I think we responded back to that. Um, Scotty also wrote, Scotty, thanks for blowing up the comments. Did you hear about the bat? Oh, yeah, I, I talked about that one. Um, Elizabeth, let's see what you wrote. Another piece of toxicity is the purity ring marriage to god platform oh my gosh i know i had a purity ring that came became a tool for people in my life to shame me after i lost my virginity not to mention trying to be 15 and understand marriage to god only meant that i couldn't cheat on him sexually as a kid i just took it all in all and believed it with all my heart and in an adult in hindsight i just see how damaging that was oh my gosh i'm sorry that I'm sorry I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you for your transparency and your vulnerability. Uh that's huge as as adults that we have this openness and transparency. That's how we grow. That's how we work through our trauma. Um and once again I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That's just that just saddens me to read that. Um I remember and I don't know if I've said it on here before like last week but I can honest, I signed a purity pledge card. I probably, I probably did that two or three times because everyone would always like lose their card or like lose their ring. And they didn't say we were married to Jesus or God, but it was like we were married to ourselves, which is also very creepy sounding like, like you're married to yourself. So, huh. so it's like, if I'm married to myself, why can't I play with myself? Now, anyway, um, I remember hearing, I remember when the first time I had sex and shame, craziness, I had sex before I was married. I had sex before my wife. And guess what? I'm still a Christian. I still love Jesus. Um, I love my wife. Because another thing that the purity culture does that really, pardon my French, fucks people up is my daughter had headphones on so she couldn't hear me curse. <laughs> what really fucks people up 
is one thing I was told and where this idea was perpetuated was that anybody that you are intimate with making out uh, oral sex, sex, anything, part of you is going to be with that person emotionally, physically, sexually for the rest of your life. That was what they kept pushing in you. They're like, there's just no way. That's the the biggest – they're like, that's the, the uh, thing that ties you to someone. That's the closest we can be as human beings is to be sexual with someone. And I re- and and, and I, I'm not gonna lie. That's one of the reasons I never really, when I was younger, is, is like as a younger teenager, ever fooled around that much, is because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want this person who I think is cute, but I know I don't want to marry. Maybe I want to kiss her. Maybe I want to hold her hand. Maybe I want to touch her boob. But I don't want to be tied to her for my whole life. And then when I had sex for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh. This person's going to be with me emotionally, spiritually, all this stuff for the rest of my life. I'm like, I, I can't handle this. Oh, my gosh. And a man and I were just talking about this a couple weeks ago because I was saying what I was going to talk about for the next couple weeks. And I was like, I can honestly tell you to a couple people I slept with before my wife, I don't think about them at all. Uh if I think about them, I'll be like, hey, I hope they're doing well as, you know, out there in this world. I hope, you know, hope they're married, hope they have a family, hope they have a good career, whatever. So the whole narrative of if you're intimate, if you're sexual with someone, then you're forever going to be tied to them. Um, you might be tied to them in a way emotionally. I'm not going to lie because sex is a very emotional thing. But to say spiritually, to say even physically to say in some ways mentally you're like intertwined that's a bunch of hogwash and i think that is a scare tactic that a lot of people in the church use to literally scare the hell out of people or to scare people of not having sex but even for me as someone who's you know had sex before i was married the whole understanding of like you're going to be with that person emotionally or mentally your whole life is just a mindless way of propaganda of control of them telling you you should be scared of your own body, your own sexual ethic, your own sexual identity. So be done with that. Um, oh, Scotty said, Oh yeah. The church we went to called it soul ties. Yeah. That's, I, I don't even know how to respond to that besides saying you Curtis, do you have anything you want to say? Are you good? Well, um, yeah, just a quick question, I guess. It seems to me, because I, I don't engage a lot with, like, church culture or, and having... Um, Consider yourself lucky. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I grew up in it, and I definitely agree with you that um, that women were uh, blamed more, from my perspective. Um, but it seems from the secular society that uh, there's been sort of a pendulum swing where I've sensed that in popular culture around in the news that men are more so uh, seen as like, um, you know, uh, predators or wanting to be, like they can't control themselves. Um, But I know that that's kind of a taboo thing to talk about because there's like all these men's rights 
right. weird positions and um but I just wanted to say like I feel like the the teaching that you're talking about today where everyone's equal um seems like a good middle ground uh to, and also to say that we're all uh fallible and we should kind of have mutual pity for one another that we we all don't have it right but i was just curious what your thoughts are um if that's a trend in the church uh that men are being um, taught that they're more of the bad person now or if you're seeing that same trend in like the secular sort of society and if that's Maybe a good thing to have the pendulum swing for at least a little bit? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, I don't know. I've been, and when I say the church, you have to unfortunately look at it in conservative, liberal ways because mainline churches teach sexuality, sex ethics in a much different way than evangelical churches do. Um, I, you know, I really, and it's sad to say, I don't know a lot of people in my personal life anymore that are evangelical besides, you know, close family. Uh, just because, you know, I've been part of the UCC for so many years. I've been out of the church for years too. Um, I, I would say in the evangelical church, men aren't held to that standard. Men aren't, because if we were in those positions, then I think the whole purity culture, sex ethic, and evangelicalism would be a lot different than what it is currently. Um, are men held way more accountable? Probably in mainline denominations, sure. And, I mean, that that's... Uh, your question is good, but it would be a question that I would have to research for, like, weeks, uh, almost as, like, a case study to give you a, a deep, adequate answer. Well, I guess, are you seeing that in the secular society, uh, there's a pendulum swing. I, I do think in society we we're definitely seeing a women stepping up, like Me Too culture. Uh, I shouldn't say culture, Me Too movement. You're seeing, you know, there's even a Church Too movement where women are talking about purity culture, the toxicity of it. Talking about pastors or youth youth leaders or um, any all that stuff. Uh, where they're like, my pastor did this, this youth sponsor did this, uh, uh, a former student did this. So I don't know if it's necessarily secular culture or non-Christian culture, whatever you want to say it, but I do think we're living in a time now where women, and I'm 100% behind this, are standing up and are saying, hey, if the church isn't calling men to be better people, to stop being predatory, to stop catcalling, then we as women are just going to stand up Christian women, non-Christian women, I think it's women now are finally having a voice that people are listening, and you're going to have a lot of men that step down. Like, there's... I'll get to your question in a second, Scotty. I see that hand. I see the hand. And I got we got to get going, though, soon, because I don't know what time it is, but we got to be out of here by 1230. Um, but there was a musician, a musician that I like, Marilyn Manson, if you've seen him in the news... Uh, and people are like, oh, he's trying to get canceled. People are trying to cancel him. No, it's because he's a sexual predator. And I like his music. I, you know, whatever. But some of the stories that these women are coming out with, these accusations, which hope that I probably believe that they're true, you just realize, like, God, this is a horrible guy, what he did. And 
how he would just treat women like that. And, and, you know, I've stopped listening to his music. I've stopped, you know, you know, I haven't gotten rid of his CDs, which probably I should. But I think we're living in a culture now where you definitely see women, especially in, quote, non-church culture, standing up and saying, okay, you're going to listen to us now. So I do think in mainline Christianity, and I would also say in um, cult, I would say just culture in general, I think men are being held to a higher standard than, or to a standard that we should be at, that we should have been at all along. And I still think in the evangelical church, because a lot of a lot of it, in my opinion, is misogynistic, still patriarchal. They're just not being held to that standard. Because if it was, then there would be a lot more a difference of teaching. Um, I'm going to give this question here to Scotty. Um, do you think that situations like Ravi Zacharias are rooted in evangelical views of sexuality? Um, I'll try to go through that quickly. If anybody knows who Ravi Zacharias was, he was this big um, Christian talking head. Um apologist if i'm not mistaken um correct me if i'm wrong scotty but I, he was this christian apologist spoke all over the world about you know jesus the bible the scripture all all that and it finally came out recently that he was in essence a sexual predator uh pho- photographing women um photographing them nude photographing them without their permission um, I don't know if he had like porn on his computer, all this, all this stuff. Um, and Scotty's question is like, do you think is rooted in evangelical views of sexuality? I don't know. I don't know Ravi Zacharias well enough. I don't know his work well enough. I don't know his church background and his church. I don't know, kind of his church family, like how he was raised and all that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if. If he was raised in that, because that's my whole point is I feel like this evangelical kind of views of sexuality, and I'm not saying I'm not going to paint the brush that it's all evangelicals or it's all churches or it's all pastors, because that would be obnoxious to say. But I think in a lot of ways, and it was kind of going back to what I was saying, like how men in my church or young men, it was like, oh, if I lusted after a girl because she was wearing a bikini it was always the girl's fault for wearing the bikini it was never my fault for not controlling my own mind or controlling my own thoughts or controlling my own lust or whatever you want to call it and i think someone like ravi zacharias probably had the mentality of like hey guess what uh i'm i'm this popular guy and a lot of times people think that they're never going to get caught because they're popular, they're influential, they have money. You look at Manson, he probably never thought he was going to get caught or whatever because he's a millionaire. And it came out, and this happened. The stuff, same thing with Ravi Zacharias. He probably never thought he was going to get caught up in all this, or he probably like, oh, no one knows that I have a camera here, or no one knows I have this on my computer, so on and so forth. And then they ended up getting found out. So, Scotty, I do think... I would say personally, my own opinion, his his views of sexuality are into the evangelical mindset. Because look at, I'm not saying that people in mainline churches don't have issues of sex and sexuality and all this, but how many, what they call moral failures that you read about 
in the papers, on the internet, wherever, how many of them are Baptists, uh, uh, Pentecostals, uh, you know, um, I don't know, name any kind of evangelical denomination. You see a lot of them are the ones that get caught up in this sexual, you know, sexual things. And I have never heard someone, I mean, yes, the whole Catholic priest scandal things, that's another thing, but I've never heard of like, oh, this Presbyterian minister was caught, you know, doing this, or this UCC minister was caught doing that. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, because it could, but I think it just goes back to that toxic understanding of sex, sexuality, body, um, looking at another person um, as a whole person instead of looking at them as, as a sex object, all of that. So I'm going to stop recording now because my H6 is about to die and I want to make sure we have enough time to wrap up. What time is it? Anybody know? 12.06. So, yeah, we got to get out of here. I want to make sure that uh, we leave enough time to clean up in here. But thanks to everyone. I have, Scotty, I have sent, uh, yes, I have too. Um, but thanks everyone for listening and watching. Uh, as I say, keep networking with us. If you like what our video or our videos and this, please, it w- I would love, uh, um, if you could share it on your page, that always is helpful. And once again, if you're ever here in Minneapolis, we're going to be at Bryant Lake Bowl every Sunday at 11. So till next time, everyone love you guys. Have a good day. Bye.